Welcome to Beating the Drum, a podcast about the art and science of customer advocacy. Every company dreams about having customers that will sing their praises. And on this show, we'll explore just how to make that happen. I'm your host, Margot Leong, and for nearly a decade, I've helped create, nurture, and mobilize customer evangelists for B2B and B2C. On this episode, I was joined by Dana Alvarenga, Director of Customer Experience at Slab5. She's passionate about making the most of customer interactions by utilizing customer voice, not just in the product feedback advisory board kind of way, but the literal voice of the customer in soundbite form. She shares some of her favorite examples of how these soundbites can be used, her three-step process for launching customer programs, and what she's learned from building out live customer education events that have had over 500 attendees and over 70% attendance. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dana. Hey, Dana. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really excited to chat with you today. Can you tell me a bit about your background and, and your relationship to customer advocacy and marketing? Sure. Yes. And thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Currently right now, I am the Director of Customer Experience at Slap5. And prior to being in this role, I have gone through the ranks of working in the sales roles, lead generation, call center type positions to account management, building different processes, building regions for territories and standard operating procedures for a technology company in the rental car space. And and then stumbled upon a customer education and advocacy role prior to the position I'm in today. Built a, a process and a program there and really just loved the blend between customer success and customer advocacy that it gave me. And so that's where I ended up landing where I am today at Slap5. And Slap5 is actually a customer marketing tool. So I work closely with customer marketers and my customers are tasked with managing and owning customer advocacy. I do it for our own company. I have my own customer program with my customers, and then I coach and help train our customers on our platform, but then I'll also coach them on best practices to help get their programs off the ground. So it's a unique position that I'm in. I had Leslie Barrett from Sendoso on, and she's also in one of those unique positions in which you're also marketing to customer marketers and you're guiding customer marketers. And so it's all very meta, but that must be really interesting because you're, I'm sure you're always learning and then feeding those learnings back to your existing audience. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's one of the best parts. I am learning and doing things within my program and then can give some ideas and failures or even successes back to my customers. And then just the community of just customer marketers and customer advocacy is just so great. A lot of my customers end up being one person departments. It's a lonely world out there for a lot of customer marketers. So it's fun to bring them together and be able to have some peer-to-peer -peer interaction and bounce ideas off of each other with different webinars and sessions that I host with them. So it's a fun space. I definitely know that feeling of being that lone customer marketer. And, and it is, you know, a small but mighty community that is just a really lovely, supportive community to be a part of, for sure. One thing that you just mentioned of being the, the lone and mighty, another part that I like to do with my customers is we've actually launched customer marketing group therapy. So it's a webinar series and we bring on not just customers, there's people in the, the customer marketing, customer advocacy space to talk about challenges, successes. And it stemmed off of, I had a call with a customer and I got off it and I called my boss or I think I G-chatted him and it was just like, I just felt like I was her therapist for the 30 minute check-in call. <laughs> and he goes, there you 
go. Dana's given therapy. And, and that's how group therapy was born. So it's such a welcoming community. And, and everybody loves to share their ideas. I've been in sales roles where it's territorial and you're not going to share any of your secrets. Um, so that, that's a cool thing that everyone's willing and able to share their ideas and share collateral documents, ideas, everything. <laughs> how I'm, I'm like super curious now. How big are those groups, by the way? We range anywhere from like 30 to 100 attendees, depending on the topics. Yeah. What's that format typically like? Because I could see this, you know, maybe not for sales audience, but I could see this being an interesting way as well of working with your existing customers in different industries. That that therapy thing is really interesting. Yeah. So with the group therapy, I mean, it's dependent upon the topic. It ends up being kind of larger audience that registers and joins. But what ends up being interesting about it is this past year, we pivoted from using GoToWebinar to GoToMeeting. So people are automatically able to come off camera and come off mic versus with webinar a little bit more difficult if they're not a panelist, et cetera. So that opened up just a little bit more open freeform discussion. So that's kind of a session that we do with the, we call it the customer X community, the X factor being customer marketing, customer advocacy, customer reference manager. But then on a more intimate side, I do a spinoff of actually the program that I run is a slap five rock stars. And we're trying to make our customer marketers rock stars, get up on stage speaking and talking within their companies, just being that rock star. So I spun off this year a new intimate session called the Backstage Pass. So that's just customers of Slap5 within that larger group of that customer X community. And it's customer-led. So they're speaking about a process they've done, a challenge that they overcame, some new innovative thing that they're doing. And it's led by the customer. I Either someone volunteers or I ask someone to run it and it's a 30 to 45 minute session and uh, they can join and get a backstage peek behind the curtain of their, of their fellow uh, peers. So that's how I've kind kind of tackled that larger audience of the group therapy down a bit for my more intimate customer engagement. Forgive me. I know we've gotten sort of uh, down a, a little bit of a, a rabbit hole, <laughs> but what we actually brought you on to, to talk about was something that's actually quite related, which is this idea of powering your customer program with customer voice. Uh, and so I know you have lots of thoughts on this topic. I'm, I'm excited to get into it. We hear about voice of the customer a lot, and I think it can mean different things to different people. And it also depends, of course, on what stage of the company you're at and what resources you have to bear on that voice of the customer as well. But I'm curious, what does this idea mean to you of powering your program with customer voice? It's very good, uh, good topic, a good segue there. How I define it is powering a customer program with customer voice is that two-way exchange of value. It's giving to get and being able to use the customer's voice. If it's, for example, they're speaking on a webinar, someone's speaking, like I just mentioned on that backstage pass session and taking that recording and then kind of carving those up into small sound bites and sharing those out for other customers that maybe couldn't join it or other just customer marketers in the industry to share what Customer X has done. And here's a little insight that you could learn from. And the other piece, really what a lot of my customers actually end up doing and with customer voice is either using feedback from events to power engagement for future events, 
So getting people, if it was a virtual event or an in-person event, getting them to talk about why that event was so awesome, why they loved it, and then use that to promote for the next future event. Using customer advisory boards for, yes, there's great engagement, especially when they were in person and they're more now starting to become in person again. So using the momentum and the excitement that was in that room from that customer advisory board and do follow-ups in between on certain topics and having those customers either record something real quick, sharing their voice of their thoughts on it and sharing that back to the group. And they can all kind of hear what their peers are saying about that topic. So that's that peer-to-peer networking, powering the customer voice with the program. And then really just getting product feedback. I mean, that's the one that I think has been around the longest. So definitely using those product feedback sessions and always recording everything and, and repurposing. I was on a clubhouse chat about this topic of customer voice. The big thing is just reusing it. Getting one asset is great, but do Doing as much as you can with it and getting the extra mile out of the content. So if you do an on-site video, for example, with a client, use that raw footage that hits the cutting room floor. You're only using three minutes of maybe two hours of on-site video and take that raw footage and be able to make a social post, get some content you can share with sales. So there's lots of ways that you can use one piece of content. You've asked the customer to do one ask and use it in multiple ways for different campaigns, for sales, for product, for social. So that's the biggest thing of getting the most use out of that one ask for the customer when you're getting their feedback and their story. When you think about customer voice, it's often related to product feedback. And I think how you're uh, sort of interpreting it is actually really like literally about the voice of the customer. It sounds like you're trying to capture the authenticity of having and hearing that directly from the customer in addition to doing it immediately. So you're trying to capture immediacy as well. There's so many times when I've been at cabs in the past or been talking to a customer and they're just organically saying something about how much they love the team or your product. And you're like, oh my gosh, I wish I could record this right now because it's it's such gold and it's just so authentically said, making sure that you are figuring out how to capture the immediacy Uh, of that delight when people are basically in that mode and wanting to share versus having to grab that from them at a later time when it feels a little bit less natural. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just one, I mean, it's where I'm in a unique role of being kind of dual owning a customer program and being a customer success manager, but like wearing a customer success manager hat and knowing the customers intimately and and when they've said something great, like you just mentioned of how much they love the product or the onboarding was seamless, like being able to listen for those cues and say, if it's on a call, can, can we press record real quick on the Zoom? Can I get that soundbite from you? Or if you're on video call, whatever it may be, super valuable. And that's the piece in getting customer voice across the whole customer journey. It's not just once they've been happy and they've used your product for a certain amount of time, there's different parts along the customer journey. I mean, as soon as someone onboards, you capture their voice when they're giving product feedback, when they've renewed, maybe they've expanded, tried a new product, all of those different touch points, not just that one time when they've reached certain milestones that you've set. There's a lot of other touch points you could reach them. Something that you mentioned as part of that was utilizing this for content you could share with sales. Can you give me a little bit more understanding or some examples of how you might be able to utilize that with sales, whether sort of using it internally with them or for external purposes? What are some of your thoughts there? 
Yeah, definitely. So two ways. So it, sales using it internally and externally. So capturing big wins or, or capturing sales win wires. And maybe you set a criteria of how big the deal is or has to be a certain number of modules, depending on the space you are in really the B2B space and getting a quick Zoom call or a recording. We use the Slap 5 tool to do this, but there's other ways to do this. Just recording the salesperson answering three questions. Why did this customer buy? How did you beat out competitors? What are they most interested in using the product for? And that can be used to circulate internally. That can help power the onboarding or customer success team to be more in tune with what the customer is. And it helps with the sales to CFs handoff. So that's the internal use. And then the external use is reusing the assets of a customer story, like an on-site video, or a customer was interviewed for part of a program for product feedback, or they're in a beta program, whatever it may be. If there was a recording for the customer or just a customer interview, that, that was the whole purpose of it for a case study or a blog, take that recording and use that in different audio sound clips, splice it down into digestible content, answering one question, why did you choose working with this product? How is it making your life easier? What advice do you have for your peers? Those are some kind of like the main questions that we always pull from these type of interviews and content. And then sales can use that as a deflection point for a live reference. So we're really big about recorded references and having a recorded reference be that first stop gap for customers to see and review because it's going to answer the same questions they would have had on the live call with the customer. So it avoids that burnout for that one to four customers that are typically the only ones that are ever called for references. So those are the two spins on reusing content and how you can help sales. I love this idea of recorded references. What does that typically look and sound like? The way I do it, and, and even some of my customers, I mean, now I have one customer, she actually just churns these out like twice a week where she'll be on a call and she has her 10 questions she knows she wants to ask, even if it was a call for something else. So she can then go back and get this carved up to be used for a recorded reference for sales or just having what you would typically use for a customer interview guide for a case study because two birds in one stone, again, you, you want to be able to reuse this content for more than one thing. So if you're able to spin up a, a a blog post from it or a short YouTube video, what, whatever it may be that you need to support marketing or other departments for different campaigns. And then those key questions that really go through the pain points that a customer is looking for. And those questions are pretty much always the same of what customers are asking on reference calls. Our CEO has done thousands and thousands of buyer persona research and customer insights interviews. So he knows a lot of what the main questions are and they stem around what triggered that need. What can you now do better? How are you saving time? What advice would you have for others? Cost savings. So topics around that and that one 30 minute call can be broken down into one minute responses to each of those questions. And that's what could be powered for that recorded reference. And it, it's a mind shift too. That comes into always be selling as a customer marketer, <laughs> sell yourself internal, befriend a salesperson and get one to use it and let them be the mouthpiece to share it with the rest of sales because we all know sales. I've been in sales. We don't like change, but <laughs> I was just thinking that. they will, they will change. <laughs> I like this idea of capturing 
sort of that authentic voice. I think partly because it's so different. It's not something that I've heard a lot of people do before. And I also think people are very used to this corporate concept of case studies and prettily packaged blog posts. But I feel as though when you're capturing that just in an audio medium or something where it's not so polished, it actually comes across much more valuable. And for a prospect, it's actually a nice change of pace. <laughs> I think that there's an honesty you can capture with customers. And I think prospects really, really appreciate that. And one thing with your authentic point there, especially this past year and a half we've had now, where maybe not so many people would have a webcam on on a meeting. People maybe weren't even using Zoom because they were always in an office or in meetings face-to-face. -face. A lot more accepted now, especially when you're watching the news too. Even people in news interviews in their homes, in their family rooms, in their kitchen. So having that connection that you can have with a customer and you'll say, oh, they're in their home office or you have a little bit more connection versus that shiny produced three minute video that really doesn't always tell anything about the customer. It just talks about the product mostly. So. It's much easier actually for the prospect to place themselves in those shoes. So yeah, I can see a lot of value in that. Something I'm also curious about is, you know, like there's definitely situations in which, you know, there's other parts of the team outside of the customer marketer that is interfacing with the customer. Do you have thoughts on how to use other parts of your team to capture this? That really comes into play with partnering really closely with customer success, even customer support. Um, if you have live support within your organization, because a lot of times customer support is usually solving a problem and they typically don't get off the phone or end the conversation with the customer until they have some sort of resolution. And the end result is the customer is typically happier than when they initially called. A lot of organizations I've worked at, there's been surveys that are sent after. So yes, great. Keep the surveys because that's a good data point, but being able to have that recorded, thank you so much, you helped me. That can be internal voice of customer that's used to share the success and promote the support team. But also depending upon what they say, could be external content that could be shared on social or different type of marketing campaigns. And then customer success. I think customer success is alongside customer marketing, the keeper of all good things that are customer. And especially if it's a non-quota carrying customer success team, they're not chasing the dollar sign, they're chasing the relationship. So they're able to friend the, the customer and, and get some insights from them. So partnering with customer success to help with customer stories, to help with recording any great sound bites that are captured will really help you as a customer marketer for sure. What I think is really interesting too about capturing that in the moment is that my hunch is that when it comes to approvals, it means that you don't necessarily have to have the full approval where the soundbite itself could actually be private. I've seen it done successfully both ways. I mean, because it's not a full-blown press release or case study, when it's short conversation, just sharing your story or your experience, it's what they're doing. It's it's not them promoting the product. So a lot more individuals, a lot more companies give more leeway to their employees when it comes to that. If they're not endorsing the product specifically and or mentioning any competitors in it that they replaced, they pretty much get 
majority of approval. I mean, a lot of the customers and clients that I work with that capture customer voice and do customer interviews, et cetera, I can count on my hand how many times it's been a customer that we had to do something anonymous just because of the approach and what we're asking and, and what you're trying to get from them is about them as the customer, them and, and making their voice heard versus bringing to light the product and endorsing the product and making sure people buy the product versus people want to buy because Sally Joe said she saved time doing X, Y, and Z and was able to solve another product problem and launch a new release and do this. Like it, it's more actionable than that product pitch, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I know that something that we wanted to talk about was how process-driven you are, which I'm endlessly fascinated about because it's not one of my personal strengths. As someone who enjoys putting together process, how would you you advise people who are like, you know, I'd love to do this. How do I actually get a process in place for something like this? What might your thoughts be there? Yes, definitely. I love love anything process or <laughs> organize. You you hit the nail on the head there. Really great from our first conversations. I mean, the thing that comes into play with process and, and being process oriented is especially if two things, if you're coming into a new role, if you're starting brand new at an organization, take inventory of what's there at the organization. See if there's any existing webinars. See if there's case studies that have been recorded. See if there's case studies that have been written that maybe never got published, which can happen. And do really your homework internally and, and see what's there, see where the gaps are, see what's missing and talk to the customers as part of this. Do, do they enjoy speaking on webinars? Do they enjoy jumping on a call and doing a, a 30 minute interview? Or do some of them like to have you come on site and do those produce videos? Everybody will have different wants and needs for what activities they want to be engaged in. And within that process, I look at it as a three-phased approach. So just taking inventory and creating your, your program, figuring out out what it's going to be, how you're going to launch it. And then the actual second phase is launching it, making hype about it, letting customers know they can join and participate a customer program with you. And however you may form it a little bit more formal and step up than just a reference program, they can be more than just a reference. They could speak at a peer-to-peer call. So all of those different acts of advocacy, let them know what they are, let them know the time commitment for it and make sure your executive team is engaged throughout this whole process. And then the third phase, it's just that continued engagement and making sure you have a content calendar laid out of different events that customers can participate in, sharing their voice just on a certain topic. And any new customers come on, you go back to that phase two and launch it, invite them to it. I'm personally an advocate of inviting all customers to a customer program. But if you're at a huge, huge, huge organization, you may need to uh, set some parameters around that. But I think it should be open to all and evaluated annually. That's kind of the quick and dirty of my process oriented feedback and advice. Okay, fantastic. So something else that I wanted to spend the rest of the time chatting about for this conversation is the customer education side of things. I know that there's lots of crossover when we think about how this may apply to customer marketing as a whole, lifecycle marketing. Before you joined over at Slap5, you were previously at a company called Smart Bear and you built out this thing called the Smart Bear Academy. So can you, you know, talk to us a little bit about this academy that you built out and your experience there, You know what that catalyst was and at a high level how you thought about this program. 
Yeah, definitely. So I, I think, like you mentioned, customer education does have a space within customer advocacy as customers need to be trained and educated in order to become advocates if they know how to use the product. So it, it does have exactly. some connection. Maybe <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And that's where uh, at SmartBear, they knew there was a gap. This was a new role that I came into and it sat within customer success. And I partnered actually with a customer marketer who really did a lot of the just email marketing campaigns and marketing to the customers while I did the program side of it and did what I just mentioned on that process, being process oriented of taking inventory of what was there. There was some paid training. There was a lot of content, some certification courses, sales engineers created. So there's a lot of stuff all over the place and also eight different products that all had different training needs. So starting with one, I had one willing and able product manager. So partnered with product to really understand kind of where they want the customers to be after purchasing, especially if they use a trial and decided to partner with the sales engineers because they were the experts on the product. And we did uh, live SmartBear Academy courses. So we branded courses called 101, 201, and 301. I worked with the sales engineers and product teams to figure out what the course was, what was covered. And at the end, customers got a certification if they attended all three. And it was live. We did something new that had never been done before. We actually had a studio, which was really cool at this company. They still do. It had a window. So people could walk by and we'd have an on-air sign. So we were in the studio. We went on camera and did training where the customers, the first one we had, had five, 600 people attend. It was unheard of for that many customers to attend an event. One, it was, oh my God, they all need 101 training. That's scary, but also really good, glad that we're doing this. So it, it did taper down after the first couple, but we started with one product that had the most need and it clearly sh showed with 500 plus people attending. And we always had huge 70, 80% attendance rate, like people who registered, it was part of the onboarding, sales grasped onto it and it just really helped. And, and then we moved on to a next phase of putting it on demand, some of the recordings into an LMS, into a learning management system, and then tracking back people who attended the training classes to the opportunity in Salesforce so the customer success managers could see, all right, this customer attended one or attended all of them. They only attended one for one product, whatever it may be. And they could help before the renewal to catch if there was any risk happening. And also we were able to track influence on opportunities for renewals with customers that were attending the training versus not. So it's still live to this day. I still see it promoted on LinkedIn. So it definitely was hard to get off the ground, but once it did, I got really great feedback and product managers are running over my desk to say, can we do my product line next? So it was fun. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, you mentioned that you guys track this in Salesforce, track influence on opportunities with existing customers. How did that ROI prove out or what were some of the, the metrics or gains that you saw there? Um, so it ended up being, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was around 50% of the customers that had attended the training did renew. And then prior to when I left the organization, there was a huge push for cross-sell with eight products. Everyone should be using all eight of them, obviously. So that hadn't been kind of formed out, but that became a big focus, not necessarily on net new, but on a lot of cross-sell. So that was where implementing the learning management system to enable people that way across their journey. But I wasn't 
wasn't unfortunately on long enough to see the end results of what the tracking looked like in the learning management system with the engagement. But we also were able to take some of the customers who got their certificates. I mean, they would send pictures of it and they became advocates. Like we didn't have people to share what they were doing with the product and they would post it in the community. They all met and they got a special badge at the live conference. They got a Smart Bear Academy ribbon on their badge. So so it, it was able to tie into kind of making them loyal customers because it was something they achieved within the product that hadn't been done before. So was there anything that you think that you guys did that you can attribute partly back to the success of how you guys built this or structured this? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the big point of success is we, we turned the cameras on. I mean, this was pre-COVID. This is three and a half, almost four years ago. And people weren't turning their cameras on for meetings necessarily as much. And having the sales engineer right there, live, face-to-face, we'd always do an intro, myself and, and my counterpart on the customer marketing side. And we do these monthly. We figured out a cadence. My colleague on the customer marketing side figured out we always got the highest and most registrants three days before, two days before. So we'd always get something out, but always promote the next one where people could register for all three in advance. They were locked in. So that was one piece. And it was the first time we were actually emailing customers outside of the renewal. So there was no communication prior to myself and my colleague coming on board at SmartBear from the customer after they purchased to the renewal timeframe. So they were just eager and hungry just to be communicated to and talked to and learn about the company and and learn more about the product. And we did live Q&A. So I I not only had one sales engineer on video training, sharing their screen, talking through the process, we had another sales engineer always in the studio with us answering questions live. So a lot of the feedback too was being able to get their questions answered live. You could ask questions into a community. Sometimes it gets lost in the dark. And this was live while the tool was being shown, asking your specific question. And, And we tried to get to all of them. And if we didn't, we would always go back and email those people afterwards. That was something we always held true to. So that was part of the success. It sounds like you guys created a really sort of lively, enjoyable atmosphere for for people to to want to attend these. So that's huge. One of my last questions here is just around how you worked with the customer marketer on the other team. Yeah, so it, it was unique. I mean, honestly, looking back, she probably should have sat within customer success with us now that <laughs> I know more about the customer marketing world and the two of us answering to multiple people in the organization, like what what did we do? Like both of us probably had to answer that on a weekly basis because we were both <laughs> brand new roles. So luckily and fortunately, we worked really well together and she would, one, was capturing email lists. So when people registered and purchased the product, they have to register with an email. So we, we had no customer list. So she did a lot of that data backend work of finding out who our customers actually were. So that was a huge step. And then figuring out that cadence, working on building the, the brand and the graphics around Smart Bear Academy and helping me to promote it and promote it internally. And we would co-present if it was to the executive team and then working together on figuring out the reporting. So we each had different reports and metrics that we would report on. I was reporting on the number of events that was happening number of academy classes that were happening, how many people were attending them. She was reporting on the open rate of the emails and how much her email list was growing after the events because if people registered, maybe they saw it on online or on social. We didn't have them in our in our database. She was adding them in. So we molded things together, but it worked out well. Looking back, like I said, we would have been even stronger and better, I think, under the same leadership, but it still was successful. 
It sounds like it was a really interesting program that you guys put together. Sounds like you saw some successes. And this is definitely inspiring because I think about how you could probably test this out at different organizations. You could probably do something a bit more lightweight and test the waters to see if this is something that customers seem interested in. If you're always focusing on it from more of a value add perspective, I think that the sky is kind of the limit. I know we covered a, a bunch of different topics, Dana. Last question, of course, is... If people would like to reach out to you and connect, what's the best place for them to find you? Um, LinkedIn would be the best place. And if you're a part of the customer X community, if you're in a customer marketing, customer advocacy, reference role, customer education, even definitely link in with me and I'm happy to share an invite to the community. It's a free Slack community with just a bunch of customer X folks. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Dana. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Beating the Drum. For more interviews with advocacy leaders and tips on creating customers that will sing your praises, head on over to our website, beatingthedrum.com. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to rate and review us. If you know someone that would be a great fit for the show, I would love to hear about it. You can reach out at beatingthedrum.com. Take care, everybody.